0: This week, Senator Bob Menendez arrived at a Manhattan courthouse, surrounded by a crush of reporters. He was there to plead not guilty to a federal indictment. — the
1: Do the right thing. Resign.
0: — Woo! — Menendez is a Democrat from New Jersey. And until recently, he was also the powerful head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He was forced to step down from that position after he was indicted last week by the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York.
2: Today I'm announcing that my office has obtained a three-count indictment charging Senator Robert Menendez, his wife Nadine Menendez, and three New Jersey businessmen, while Hanna, Jose Uribe, and Fred Davies for bribery offenses—
0: The details of that indictment were shocking.
2: The indictment alleges that through that relationship, the senator and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes in exchange for Senator Menendez using his power and influence to protect and to enrich those businessmen and to benefit the government of Egypt. So last summer, there was a search of the home that he shares with his wife, Nadine Menendez, formerly Nadine Arslanian. And during that search, uh, the indictment alleges that authorities found uh, cash uh, in envelopes stuffed in jackets bearing the senator's name, uh, gold bars, uh, Mercedes-Benz that they allege uh, was paid for by some of the co-defendants in this case and uh, other items of value.
0: Isaac Stanley Becker is a national investigative reporter for The Post. He's been writing about why this indictment matters for the Democratic Party.
2: I think there are so many points to make about what a big deal this is, starting with who Bob Menendez is and his power in New Jersey as a state senior senator, his power over Democratic politics nationally as one of the country's most prominent Hispanic politicians, And his power in the Senate as uh, the longtime top Democrat and chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I think to take the allegations in some, really what prosecutors are saying is that this is someone who essentially sold out his Senate office uh, and performed favors for foreign government and for allies of his in exchange for cash and gold.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Thursday, September 28th. I'm your guest host, Rachel Siegel. Today on the show, we'll look at the case against Senator Bob Menendez, how he beat a previous indictment on corruption charges, and what lies ahead as he faces re-election. So to back up, who exactly is Senator Menendez? Can you walk us through his history both in New Jersey politics and then later on in national politics.
2: Sure, so Menendez is a long-serving senator, and he has a kind of remarkable history in New Jersey and a remarkable uh, life story.
1: I saw it with my own eyes, what it means to grow up in an immigrant family in a low-income tenement in Union City, New Jersey. My mother worked tirelessly as a seamstress and sacrificed everything to make sure that my siblings and I could have a better life and a better future. Because that is the very essence of what we call the American dream.
2: He's the son of Cuban immigrants. He got a really early start in politics um, in this swath of northern New Jersey, uh, right across the river from... New York City, he was 28 years old in 1982 and working for the local school board at the time when he actually turned on his mentor, um, William Musto, who was the mayor of Union City, and testified against him at the trial that would ultimately send him to prison on corruption charges. Uh, The young Mm -hmm. Menendez wore a bulletproof vest um, because of threats against his life as part of this very high-profile and serious corruption case. Wow. Symbolism meets reality with Bob Menendez. So he rises really swiftly from school board to the mayor's office, to the state legislature in New Jersey, to Congress. He's an extraordinary legislator. There's a reason that he is the number three representative of the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives. And ultimately uh, to the Senate. In a very practical sense, he is eminently electable, and I think Bob Menendez is going to do an outstanding job as our next United States senator. There are, you know, a number of uh, kind of early uh, legal troubles and investigation uh, in the two thousands uh, involving a nonprofit, and then, you know, ultimately the first indictment on corruption charges and a first trial on those charges.
0: So to dig into this latest indictment, what to you were some of the most shocking details of what was inside?
2: I would say the most shocking details involve the allegations about his interactions with Egyptian officials and alleged um, uh, work really on behalf of the Egyptian government. And I would say this is notable both because of his powerful position as chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, but also because of the response that he gave earlier this year when aspects of this investigation started to become public. There were subpoenas that made clear to an extent what investigators were looking at and that it involved issues involving Egypt. And what prosecutors are saying is that covertly, he was really using his rank in the Senate and his power that comes from this committee chairmanship to provide sensitive, non-public information to Egyptian officials, to ghostwrite a letter on their behalf, to uh, sign off on uh, military sales, arms sales, Uh, allegedly in exchange for these favors, in exchange for money. So uh, that is really what stood out to me in the indictment, in addition to some of the work uh, domestically that it alleges he was uh, performing on behalf of allies of his and friends of his wife.
0: So you mentioned Menendez's wife, and one of the most or another striking part of the indictment is this timeline of events that seems to go back very far, Can you break down the timeline for us where Senator Menendez and his now wife started getting involved in the things that are alleged here?
2: Sure. And I think that I would add an additional player here, an additional uh, co-defendant in this case in order to make this timeline make sense. So we have Senator Menendez we have his uh, now wife, Nadine Menendez, um, whose former name was Nadine Arslanian. And then we have a longtime friend of hers, Whale uh, or Will Hanna, who is an Egyptian American businessman and uh, the owner of a, of a company that uh, certifies halal meat um, entering Egypt, certifies that it adheres to Islamic law. So the senator and his now wife begin dating in February of 2018, according to the indictment. And what prosecutors say is that uh, Mrs. Menendez, now Mrs. Menendez, informed Hannah, her friend, this businessman, of her new relationship— And very quickly, they start setting up dinners, setting up meetings, other kinds of interactions with Egyptian officials who have various requests from the senator and various interests before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And so within, you know, by that summer, he is, according to prosecutors, Texting his girlfriend at the time, letting her know that he's going to sign off on arms sales to Egypt and asking her to tell this friend of hers, this businessman, who then conveys that information to Egyptian officials. And according to the indictment, they respond with a thumbs up emoji. Wow. There is a allegation in the indictment that the senator performed a Google search for how much is one kilo of gold worth the day after a driver for one of the co-defendants in the case, a prominent developer and fundraiser for Menendez, uh, dropped the senator and his wife off at their home after a trip to Egypt. So you have to try to picture this. the the senator and his wife take this trip to Egypt. They return home. They're picked up uh, by a driver for this developer and co-defendant in the case, Fred Davies. And the next day, the senator performs this Google search for how much is one kilo of gold worth and as important context here, the allegation is that some of the gold bars at issue in the case as well as the cash stuffed in these envelopes were provided by Mr. Davies and some of the envelopes actually bore his fingerprints as well as the fingerprints of his driver. So we have this very rapid timeline of the beginnings of a relationship and how that brings into the senator's orbit Uh, a businessman and associates of his who work for the Egyptian government and an emerging uh, dynamic in which, according to the indictment, he is doing various favors for them in exchange for gifts, including gold bars and uh, other valuable items.
0: Are there implications here for Menendez's other work on the Foreign Relations Committee, even if he has stepped down from leading the committee, are there things that are going to shape the committee moving forward because of this?
2: One of the really interesting details in the indictment, to me, though far from the most eye-popping one, was about the way that he was conducting some of these activities without the involvement of professional staff, either in his Mm. Senate office or on the committee, and I've got to imagine it's still early days that there may be some reconsideration of how some of these processes work, how uh, members of that committee involve themselves or what their role is in issues such as arms sales, what kinds of mm-hmm. foreign trips they take and with what sort of parameters and what sort of staff. So I do think there will be questions for the committee and for the U.S. Senate about the kind of guardrails that exist uh, preventing that, that sort of uh, activity that's alleged here.
0: And moving forward, do you see other repercussions for the relationship between the United States and Egypt, even beyond the committee?
2: Well, I think one of the other issues backshadowing the indictment is how complex that relationship has been and the enormous amount of um, military aid uh, and other types of aid that is provided uh, to Egypt Um uh, you know, in the context of some of the human rights concerns that have been raised by the Biden administration and others, I was interested in a detail in the indictment where there's a meeting involving the senator and his wife and Egyptian officials. Again, I believe this is one that was conducted without professional staff and you know, most of the meeting was about um, human rights concerns, allegations that were being raised mm-hmm. about Egypt's human rights record and then sort of tacked onto this was this personal business Business issue uh, involving a longtime friend of the senator's wife, who's a who's a co defendant in this case. So it's a complex geopolitical relationship, and it will be interesting to see what kind of reverberations there are from the indictment uh, on that relationship.
0: So we've gone through what is in the indictment. What has the senator responded? I mean, has has Senator Menendez said? anything in response about these allegations made against him?
2: So the the indictment was made public on Friday, and uh, the senator spoke Monday at a news conference, denying the charges, saying he wasn't going anywhere, and essentially accusing prosecutors of overreach and of targeting him, um, blaming forces behind the scenes.
1: I recognize uh, this will be the biggest fight uh, yet, but as I have stated throughout this whole process— I firmly believe that when all the facts are presented, not only will I be exonerated, but I still will be the New Jersey's senior senator. To those who have rushed to judgment, you have done so based on a limited set of facts framed by the prosecution to be as salacious as possible. Remember, prosecutors get it wrong sometimes. Sadly, I know that.
2: So it's someone who we've seen the same kind of defiance from and the same Mm -hmm. effort to suggest that this is politically motivated and an effort to get him out of the Senate. And as he has mentioned subsequently, uh, an effort he he alleges to bench, uh, you know, one of the country's most prominent Hispanic lawmakers.
0: And he was forced to step down from his position as chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. Did he say anything about that role?
2: So he has stepped down uh, from that role as is required under Senate Democratic Conference rules. He has very much refused calls that he resign his seat in the Senate. And his his team has indicated that his plans have not changed with respect to his reelection campaign next year. He hasn't talked about this much publicly uh, since the indictment. I think there were some expectations that in his... Um, in his press appearance on Monday, that he would discuss his re-election campaign. He did not, which I think led some to wonder if there was some room for doubt about that, um, about what's to come there. But there's been no indication, at least, that he that he doesn't plan to run.
0: After the break, we'll look at Menendez's history of weathering the corruption storm and the playbook he might use again. We'll be right back. So we talked a bit about him being indicted before and his ability to salvage his political career. Tell us more about what happened in 2017 that is sort of the backdrop to this moment.
2: So there was a long-running investigation leading up to this in 2017, aspects of which became public because of grand jury subpoenas and uh, witnesses coming forward. Prosecutors uh, here in Washington for the Justice Department's Public Integrity Section have been focusing on his relationship with a doctor, an ophthalmologist in Florida. But what he ended up being indicted on um, were federal corruption charges involving a wealthy South Florida doctor um, and uh, a longtime friend and donor of his who, it's alleged, needed his help with a Medicare dispute um, and also with the terms of a, um, of, of a port contract.
1: The focus of this investigation goes back to 2010 and some trips, uh, lavish trips, uh, according to the government, that uh, Dr. Melgen provided to Senator Menendez.
2: It was alleged that he, that the senator, uh, provided this assistance in exchange for lavish gifts for luxury travel, for campaign contributions. Um, but it was really the vacationing and uh, hotel stays uh, that were most eye-popping in that in that indictment.
0: But still, he was able to power through and even win re-election in 2018. Is that right?
2: That's right. And the the defense that was mounted on his behalf was that that they were longtime friends and that what he was doing was no different from what any kind of lawmaker would do for a constituent and that the gifts that were provided were ordinary gifts exchanged between friends. And the jurors could not come to an agreement about that. So he was not acquitted, but he was not convicted. And so he was able at that time to to claim vindication and to argue that there was prosecutorial overreach and then to mount and successfully wage this re-election campaign in 2018. um, You know, at the time, much of the democratic power apparatus in the state and nationally stuck by him but but even so, and when I was doing reporting on this earlier this year and thinking about what a potential second indictment might mean for his political future, I heard from people who pointed out that in 2018, after this after this first trial, uh, even without a very serious credible primary opponent. Uh, he still uh, did not exactly coast to victory. This essentially Mm -hmm. unknown uh, opponent in the Democratic primary was able to get 40% of a vote. So Mm -hmm. there was a suggestion that there was a fair amount of voter fatigue in the state with his legal sagas. And I've got to imagine that that will only intensify, especially now that this dam has kind of broken with top Mm -hmm. Democrats, not just in the state, but nationally, saying that he should resign.
0: So Isaac, based on what you're describing, it sounds like now is a different time for Menendez and also for the Democratic Party. What are the ways that you're seeing politics influence what is happening now that might be different from a few years ago?
2: In addition to the many other ways that this time is different for Senator Menendez, the fact that it's the second indictment, the really vivid nature of the accusations, there is also a really important political difference uh, in New Jersey, and that's the fact that there's a Democratic governor. So under the rules and processes here, if there is an open Senate seat, it falls to the sitting governor to, uh, to name an uh, interim senator. And in 2015, when Menendez was first indicted on federal charges, that governor was Chris Christie, uh, the Republican uh, and later presidential candidate. So there was concern that he would have been replaced by a Republican. Now Democrat Phil Murphy would name a replacement. And so Democrats feel uh, greater comfort in in potentially seeking to oust him because uh, they would be uh, getting a a Democrat as a replacement.
0: If we're going to think about what is going on for the Democratic Party right now, there is Menendez's seat in New Jersey, but there's also this broader run-up to the 2024 election. Does that feel like it's part of it, this broader backdrop between Biden or Trump or just what Democrats are thinking about going into next year's election?
2: I think the politics definitely are at play in in the reaction to this.
0: The dam is certainly
1: breaking on Senator Bob Menendez with more and more Democratic senators saying it's time for him to go.
2: As we've seen this uh, growing chorus of calls for him to resign among his Senate colleagues, we've definitely seen some of the senators who are up for re-election next year and up in tough fights for re-election next year come out the quickest to say that he should resign. Sherrod Brown in Ohio, uh, John Tester in Montana. There are other examples of people who just don't want to be asked on the campaign trail this year and next, uh, what do you have to say about this member of your party who's been accused of Mm -hmm. taking bribes? Um, You know, I will also say, in, in speaking with people in New Jersey, we now think of New Jersey as a fairly solid Democratic state, especially at the presidential level, but it wasn't so long ago that it elected Chris Christie as governor, who now, of course, is running for president in the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly not out of the question that voters there could move uh, against Democrats or short of that, that it would be a drag on the ticket.
0: So I've been wondering about that political temperature in Menendez's home state of New Jersey. Our colleague, Emmanuel Felton, spoke to Manny Contreras, a voter and supporter of the senator, who was at his press conference on Monday. Let's take a listen.
1: Well, I've been a voter for the senator for the last 30 years. uh, And I came here to support him in the darker moments. Why have you supported the senator so long? Well, Well, uh, as a Latino, I truly believe that he has done positive things for our community. And the senator is a is a great man, and let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's uh, let the case play out in court. If it's found guilty, it must go.
0: Isaac, do you get the sense that there are other people in New Jersey who represent this view? Or what are you hearing from constituents who are responding to what's happened?
2: I think it's very clear that the senator will have allies in this fight and allies among constituents who have voted for him now for years, I mean I mean, decades. Um, and I think that even among those who have called on him to resign, there is an acknowledgement that he has been an effective senator for his constituents. Whether that mm-hmm. will be enough to allow him to win re-election, I just think... It's it's too soon to say. I think it will depend on so many factors. It will depend on when this, when this trial takes place, um, if further details come out about the nature of the allegations. Certainly, there are co-defendants who will be under pressure to cooperate. Uh, and I also think it will definitely depend on who else gets into the primary. Uh, mm. We've seen um, uh, Congressman Andy Kim uh, jump in already. But I think there are a number of others who may be interested, and he may have formidable opponents.
0: Election aside, how do you see the rest of this playing out? I mean, do you think do you think that he'll resign? What are some of the things that you are watching for in the next couple of weeks and months?
2: I think there will be a lot of pressure on him to resign, and there already has been. Uh, Just Tuesday, Cory Booker, who serves alongside him representing New Jersey in the Senate, said that he should resign in a fairly lengthy, uh, thoughtful statement uh, talking about how people are presumed innocent and how that's our standard of justice in this country, but that in public office and in the Senate, Senator Booker says there's a higher standard. I think in terms of how this will unfold legally, it's it's you know one of the important differences from 6 years ago when he was tried in a federal district court in New Jersey in Newark was that this was a jury of his constituents, ultimately, which mm-hmm. I think is pretty interesting. This indictment was brought in the Southern District of New York, which means that it, it will be a somewhat different jury pool, and he may not find as sympathetic uh, mm-hmm. jurors who are weighing in on the fate of you know, their home state senator. So I think that's an important legal difference.
0: Isaac, thank you so much for walking us through this indictment.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Isaac Stanley Becker is a national investigative reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Jeff Pierre. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Emmanuel Felton and Roz Helderman. If you want to show your support for the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work that we do. And you get access to the kind of revelatory political reporting you just heard here. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Rachel Siegel. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.